This is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Today we've got a show that is got a rock ton of information, educational and entertaining for your listening pleasure. We're going to talk about pink diamonds. We've got some silver and gold news to touch on. Um, the Tucson Gem and Mineral show was uh, a success. We might talk about that. One of the keynote addresses we're going to talk about is chrysophase, how to cut it, so stay tuned for that. There was a 400-year-old treasure that was found that is outstanding. Uh, we're going to talk about some, uh, what else, rock pounding on Mars, also some rocks that have been found, and an interesting fossil story about a gem-filled belly creature, a creature filled with these gemstones. So hang on tight, and we will try to get through all this information. Um, update, I've just been uh, doing what I can. It's been uh, a little bit cool here. Some people have asked in different circles on our social media and stuff. Uh, my car's still out third week. Bummer, bummer. So anyway, we press on. Um, we want to thank you guys for supporting the channel. We really do need your support for subscribing, sharing, liking, commenting on all our social media. Um, if you go to our website, RadicalRocks.com, that's RadicalRocks.com, you go there and you scroll down to the bottom of the page, you've got all our links. Um, Parlor's back up. you got to go to Parlor.com. You can't use the app. We're up there. Me, we, we're growing like in leaps and bounds. We've got a Facebook group, YouTube channels, blog, all the social media information. And it's not repetitive. It's different topics and subjects on each format so get involved be a part of that also check out our store when you're there so let's get right into it because we have a lot of information to cover today um, first of all there is a uh, little story about rock picking now if you go to north wind um, thenorthwind.com there's a little article here on virtual skill builder rock picking and it talks about picking rocks from the beaches in particular the shores of superior beaches and I imagine that's talking about uh, Lake Superior but it talks about the president of the rock club helping and organizing this virtual skill builder um, happening and if you want to check that out you can Let's see if there's a little more information on it. Um, this is a regular event. It might have already passed by, but um, you can find out about it by the North Wind. And you can go on and check out their events for opportunities to go meet with others, um, to participate in rock collecting at Lake Superior. So there you go. Um, they say because of the ice uh, as it melts, that's a great time to find these rocks. Now... In silver news and gold news, um, there's always a ton of news. If you just do a search on mineral discoveries, what's mostly going to show up is not lapidary rocks. So I have to sort through tons and tons of this stuff. But it's always interesting to read about the latest discoveries. Um, some of them are kind of hyped up because they're trying to get investors, but some of them do materialize to be something very spectacular. The Kootenai Silver Company posted on February 23rd that they had found a large um, discovery 
of copper and silver in the Aztec mineral group, and they are beginning their explorations in the um, Sonora Mexican desert. If you want to read about things like that, like I said, you can just look that up by Googling mineral discoveries, but prnews.com, there's an article about this discovery. Um, They feel, they take a lot of samples. The articles are quite lengthy, but uh, yeah, they feel they are gonna find this huge deposit of silver and copper here in Sonora, Mexico. Many things like this pop up all the time. They're finding diamonds and oil and different minerals in Canada lately. Uh, Also, a lot of gold mines are being discovered. Uh, Gold areas are tentatively being explored in Australia. But even in the U.S., another article here boasts a huge, uh, one of the largest land packages in gold-rich Nevada. And this is at the ProactiveInvestors.com website. Ridgeline Mineral boasts one of the largest junior-controlled land packages in gold-rich Nevada. And this is in the Ridgeline Mineral District, which encompasses uh, Elko and other real historical gold-rich areas, gold and silver in those areas. And they feel there, uh, in this area... There's some 422 claims that cover 39 square kilometers of mineral-bearing lands, including gold, 1,300 acres of private mineral rights, right adjacent to the Nevada gold mines. Um, And they are doing their investigation here. These assays will, uh, if it comes to fruition, they will be able to mine up uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of gold uh, out of this area. So that's a long way off, but it is interesting to see the interest happening here uh, in the U.S. So I thought I would highlight that for my gold and silver um, friends. Now, the Tucson Gym and Jewelry Show was uh, quite a success, um, and there was almost 50,000 people in attendance. You can read about this at the digitaljournal.com under the J-O-G-S Tucson Gym and Jewelry Show, held with the participation of the American Societies of Jewelers and Gemologists. So this combination um, really brought a lot of... uh, high-level people, uh, bigger crowds and things like that to this event that draws in people from all over the world. Um, Their gemstones were from common gemstones and jewels to the most expensive and most valuable gemstones. This is one of the top shows in the country, if not the top show, uh, gem and mineral show in the country. So that's one you definitely want to put on your bucket list. Let's talk about pink diamonds. Pink diamonds, um, they do pop up quite a bit. This article I found particularly interesting at uh, brides.com called Pink Diamond Engagement Rings, a complete guide by Jessica Booth. But she did more than just look at designs. Um, She actually talked about what a pink diamond is. She compared pink diamonds to white diamonds, talked about the history of diamonds. It's very well written and she says these diamonds can range from a pale pink to a pale red and this color is caused by a process called plastic deformation and unlike other diamonds that have color 
from chemical impurities that absorb light. Pink diamonds don't derive their color just because of, of impurities. Pink diamonds are make up only about 1% of all the diamonds produced worldwide, and that rarity explains why they are a celebrity favorite, um, why they have uh, been the favorites of people like Mariah Carey and other famous people as a engagement ring. Now, the history of the pink diamond is long and interesting, but we'll try to shorten it here. It was discovered in India in the Golaconda mines, and the earliest pink diamonds was the Iranian Crown Jewel Collection, um, about 182 carats, and then the another uh, one of those collections was a 60 carat, both cut from the same 400 carat rough diamond mined at the Golconda Mines in India. Now, pink diamonds, even though they're rare, they're about to become rare because over 90% of the pink diamonds came from the um, R. Uh, Argel Diamond Mine in Western Australia in the East Kimberley region. But after 37 years, the mine closed because of supply and demand, and um, they are uh, not mining. So this is going to bring the price up quite a bit. So that might be a good investment if you have one. <laughs> um, pink diamonds versus white diamonds. Of course, uh, the color difference is obvious. And pink diamonds are much more rare, as we mentioned, and therefore they're much more expensive. They're about 20 times more expensive than white diamonds of the same size because of their rarity and their limited supply. Um, they are valued on the same four C's, which is color, clarity, cut, and carat weight. But unlike uh, white diamonds, pink diamonds from the Argyle mine are graded with a color scale of one to nine, nine being the lightest, and uh, one being the darkest. So white diamonds in clarity, uh, as uh, like white diamonds, the clarity of pink diamonds is measured on a scale from flawless to included, but less than 7% of pink diamonds are either flawless or internally flawless, and a majority are slightly included. So the pros and cons of a pink diamond, um, it's really, what makes a diamond special to you and why people pick diamonds. It's a personal thing. Um, it is, there's different color ranges of subtle pink to bright hot pink. Uh, of course, I would think some of the brighter colors might be more popular, but whatever's the rarer is gonna be the most popular, um, which is probably the darker. Um, and they make a great engagement ring. It's become very trendy, so this also brings up the prices and that very limited supply. So the downside is definitely going to be the cost. Now, if you want more information on pink diamonds, if you're wanting to buy pink diamonds, wanting to know how to compare them at a, lot, uh, a better, uh, better detail, go ahead and look up this article at brides.com and pink diamond engagement rings, and it should pop right up. It was written on the 22nd, just um, a couple days ago. Now, if you were using a metal detector and you found something really spectacular, you would be super excited. I know I would. Um, the Daily Mail.co.uk had an article by Jonathan Chadwick on the 22nd that says spectacular 400-year-old gold seal ring found by metal detector in the Pink Peak District could sell for up to 30,000 lire at an auction. Now, this ring 
was set with a blue-tinted chalcedony stone that was carved with an embossing, and it features the initials GL, which is believed to refer to the original owner of the 17th century. This was found in a fish uh, by a retired fish fisherman or fishmonger, they call him, in the grounds of Castron Hall, uh, Shaffershire, and this is obviously in England. This ring is so beautiful it was very big huge ring the history uh it goes back to the to possibly the 16th century um the ring was discovered by this fisherman who was just metal detecting and found a signal dug down and lifted up a flat rock to expose this spectacular um gold ring uh which was used to emboss with huge heavy ring not just a normal sized ring but a very big ring that uh, would emboss like a, what looks like three candelabras with candles on them with the initials G and L in the middle very very beautiful now there is a legend that there's a lost treasure in this area uh, and this ring is thought to be part of it this article goes on to describe paperwork and um, other indications that this treasure um, is related to this ring possibly in one way or another and uh, you can look up all of that history about this mystery and this legend and this treasure that has been found um, just recently now paleontology is a wonderful study and uh, paleontologists have been looking for bones for hundreds of years and although it's always changing, their information is always being updated. One of the earliest female paleontologists was Mary Anning. And there is a, a wonderful article that uh, tries to deal with facts called LifeScience.com. was written by Rochelle Kaufman two days ago. And she talks about um, Mary Anning discovering these in uh, England in the uh, early 1800s. She was born in 1799. Her father uh, would go... Oh, oh no. What happened to my computer? Oh, man. What the heck? Okay, here it is. Whew, that scared me. Um, just got my computer back from being fixed, so uh, when it, the screen just blacked out just now, I'm scratching my head going, what the heck? But anyway, back to our story. Uh, she went fossil hunting along the coast... Uh, and discovered these sea fossils and at an early age started selling them found out that she could earn a few dollars selling these to um, to tourists and stuff it was called Limes uh, Regis uh, in the, the town that was close to these beaches and her father unfortunately died at an early age due to Lyme's disease and uh, other ailments and she found a really big anamite there and actually sold it for a half a crown and at that time that was quite a bit of money so she was like wow you know I think you can make money about this and so she went on to dig and dig and dig and through the years she started to make some wonderful discoveries she discovered what looked like a crocodile some 17 feet long never been discovered before had 70 vertebrae took months to expose she brought this to the london scientific community they had no idea what this was and it turned out to be 
one of these fish uh, creatures with teeth, an ichosaurus, and this was a wonderful discovery at the time. Now, she continued to discover a uh, plesiosaurus, a large creature that uh, lived in the sea that had uh, big uh, giant feet-like flippers, a four-limbed extinct marine reptile. Uh, you can think of those. They look kind of like a brontosaurus with flippers. This was a huge creature that was discovered. She discovered it in uh, 1823. She discovered another one, um, a winged creature prior to that in 1823, uh, a, a pterosaur. She discovered other creatures through the years, received little recognition and little credit. Now, in modern times, um, there was a few books written about her through the years. In modern times, she has become more of a figure of history and getting credit for her discoveries. Now, there was a movie recently called Animite where um, she was portrayed. It was uh, erotica, basically, uh, and even is uh, openly described as that, but uh, a, a movie that came out, I believe, rated rated R or NC-17 or something, um, I actually was on a plane and some people were watching it in front of me and it was pure uh, pornography in my opinion. So she was uh, depicted as being a lesbian but uh, the article here says there's actually no proof to indicate that she was a lesbian. She was merely single and uh, never did marry it throughout her life. But a uh, very interesting person getting a lot more credit today being written up. Uh, in the BBC, uh, in the Journal of Vertebrae Paleontology, and things like this. She's getting much more credit um, as she deserves. So good, good for that. Now, there was an exhibition where there was over 200 rocks and minerals and gems featured at the PPHM Rock of Ages exhibit. You can find out about this at myhighplains.com. The article is um, entitled just as I read by uh, Angel Oliva Olivia, and it was posted a couple days ago. This show was in the Panhandle of Texas, Canyon, Texas, at the Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. They announced their Rock of Ages exhibit will open on the 27th, um, so that's upcoming. We still have a few days if you want to go to that, um, but they have beautiful azurite and other mineral displays depicted here and at the show there will be much much more and that you can see there if you want to go check that out mars we are going rock hounding on mars we have landed on mars the perseverance rover uh, will store rock and soil samples sealed in tubes on the surface of mars and these tubes are planned to come back to earth if you go to smithsonianmag.com the article is there. Perseverance kicks off elaborate effort to bring Mars rocks to Earth. And it is written by Teresa um, Meechemir. It's M-A-C-H-E-M-E-R. It was written on the 22nd. Um, this rock collecting trip has no equal this is amazing. They want to find uh, signs of life, whether past or presence, by ancient microbials looking at rocks, trying to find indications of this. Um, this rock hunting trip will be slated 
from now until 2026 and then again in 2031. How does it work? Well, they have the they're making the collections now. Um, little tiny tubes are filled with these little rock samples. These samples are just going to be laying on the ground in these marked dedicated tubes that are identified. And when they come back, they're coming back with a device that will land, collect the tubes, and then put them in a little rocket and shoot them back to Earth. So this is really an ambitious um, um, rock hounding trip. And they're also finding with the latest discoveries on Mars, you can go to theglobemail.com. Uh, this is published on the 19th. Mars rover spies vugs in neighboring rocks. First step in discovering if the crater once hosted this microbial life. They're saying these vugs in these rocks are a great indication that there was water um, and potentially life on Mars. So the cameras are there. They're picking up pictures. Um, they're sampling these things and the information is starting to come back to us. They feel that this crater that they're now in right now was once filled with water and is a lake. Um, very interesting. We will see what comes out. I'm sure that uh, we will hear a lot of information and it will be updated all the time. You can check that out. Now, how about a gym-filled belly uh, creature? It was a creature that lived at the time of the dinosaurs. And by the way, we're getting to our chrysophase section coming up. We're almost there. Um, but let's talk about this gym-filled creature that lived next to the dinosaurs. If you go to pressstories.com, that article is called The Magnificent Gym-Filled Belly Creature Lived Next to the Dinosaurs by Carrie Douglas on the 22nd. They have a picture of this bird that has these teeth flying. It looks like a... I don't know, like a meadowlark or uh, a common bird from the picture, and its belly is filled with different quartz crystals. These birds would uh, use these gems in their belly potentially to help digest food. The Chinese Academy of Science are studying this, and they say um, they don't understand what this is going on, but they, they really think it's a wonderful thing. They're studying it, trying to figure out why this was. And um, looking at this bird, uh, it has very, um, it's like a pigeon, they say, but it has very sharp claws and uh, teeth. And like chickens, it can swallow rocks, possibly to help digest food or other quartz crystals that were in the bird's stomach. So interesting. Uh, you never know what they'll find. Some of them also have been found with seashells in their stomach, which they use to help um, digest their food. Okay, There's an article about 25 very old human creations that still surprise us. Um, I thought it was interesting because there was a lot of gemstones incorporated in jewelry. Uh, it's at hiptoro.com under 25 very old human creations that still surprise us today by Ektra Signia, written on the 21st. And there's some beautiful pictures here of a lot of things that were created around um, as early, you know, before uh, AD, BCE, around that time, such as Hercules armor made in 1515. The article goes on to talk about, like, you know, you think about modern times 
and we can just grab our lapidary saws and chop up the rock and use our grinders or use our dremels. But there's an ancient Egyptian ring here with a red carnelian cat. It dates back to almost a thousand years before Christ, BCE, before Christ's heir. And it is this little beautiful gold uh, ring with a, a red uh, carnelian, dark red, and carved a cat sitting sitting there with his ears up. Beautiful. And just a wonderful gem that you would not ever imagine. This thing is almost 3,000. It's 2,700 years old. I mean, just amazing what they were able to do. Another gem, and there's a lot of different um, pieces of things that were created and made, like swords and things like that, in this article. But I'm just focusing on the ones with gemstones. A ring that uh, could be almost 2,000 years old, um, could have belonged to Caliglia. Caliglia. It is a sky blue ring. Um, it's, it's a haloth, which means it's made from a single piece of stone, a sapphire. Beautiful. A amazing. And in the center, they have gold, a gold ring. It is beautiful. It kind of inspires me for making some lapidary. Uh, the woman is engraved into the ring, and uh, it is um, Caliglia's fourth, fourth and last wife, they believe. Um, the ring was sold for $600,000. Just beautiful. Just beautiful. The stories the rock could tell if it could talk, so says the article. Another interesting thing here is a pair of 2,400-year-old shoes found in the Altia Mountains. Um, it said the Romans weren't the only one to wear fashionable shoes back then, but they excavated graves at Alta Mountains and found a very old, well-preserved pair of shoes that was bedazzled, in other words, with beads, by a, uh, um, worn by a woman around 300 to 290 BCE. They're made of leather and textile, pewter, gold, and there's all kinds of little gemstones sewn into it. Amazing. Beads and crystals all over uh, these these uh, fancy boots would have been worn by women of importance um, that were in this lifestyle. Um, very neat. Awesome, awesome. All kinds of other things in here. So let's get to our keynote address um, about chrysophase, okay? Um, I love chrysophase. A lot of times this is a beautiful green gemstone. Uh, can be a lemon green. I actually bought a real nice piece of lemon green and made a set of earrings and a ring and a pennant for my mother, um, who sh has passed away since now. And um, unfortunately, I have those items given back to me, but I gave them to my daughter to enjoy. And uh, it's beautiful, beautiful, warm, very historical. One of the oldest semi-precious gemstones used since times of antiquity. If you go and subscribe to Rock and Jim uh, on their email. You don't even have to subscribe to their magazine. You can get their email. They will send you these articles and you can check them out. This one by Rock and Jim, rockandjim.com. Uh, we're not sponsored by them. We just feel like it's a really good uh, source for all rock hounds and lapidary folks. What to cut, chrysophase among the oldest semi-precious gemstones. Now, uh, typically, this stone is uh, cut in an oval. A lot of times, it's an elongated oval, 
because of the way it uh, catches light, uh, it, it really helps uh, bring out its best features. Chrysophase, again, is beautiful apple green. It makes head turn when you have a big piece. Chalcedony is what it is. It's mixed with nickel, gives it that Jimmy Green color. Um, the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, it was very popular during Victorian times as cameos and cabochons. Now, there's a legend about Alexander the Great. They feel, um, they say that he was very superstitious about this stone and he wore it on his belt um, on every battle until one day he was crossing a river. He was struck by a snake, caused the stone to get knocked off of his belt into the river. He could not find it. And according to the legend, he never won another battle. Now, several of the places this stone can be found uh, were Germany, United States, Madagascar, but uh, typically nowadays it's a lot of it comes out of Australia. Other pieces coming out of uh, Africa and um, India as well. Now, when you look for this, the high-grade specimens are what you're looking for. They're going to have a solid color, no blemishes or inclusions. These are highly sought after and going to going to ask a lot higher price. And um, when you look for cabs, that's what you're going to want. When you look for a lot, uh, rough material, you're going to want to see uh, an edge of that cutaway so that you can look in there and try to look at it. Um, the colors, again, from Citron, Limon, uh, to a pale variation which comes from Indonesia. Now when you buy rough, uh, like it's tough to find a, a really big piece because a lot of them curl up kind of like a potato chip. So it can be a challenge to make a really big gemstone out of it. But if you look long and hard, you can find some really nice ones. Look for the ones um, that you have the seams that are grinded on the top or at least you can see some of it, uh, what kind of quality it is. They usually are very hard ranking about 6.5 to 7 on the Mohs scale. Um, yeah, very nice. Just cuts normal with a grinder and uh, grinding stones. They say here um, when you're shaping it, uh, you want to start off with about an 80 grit wheel, smooth it out a little bit on a 60 grit and uh, resin wheels, and then smooth off the edges and make your cab shape move down to the 140 then to the 280 with a soft resin wheel get rid of those scratches keep going down to a 1200 wheel if you have a 1400 um, or a 50k a 50k wheel that would even do the polishing part of it if you do go down to the 12,000 um, I only went down I think to 600 and then started a, a polishing I believe I used a uh, not tin a tin oxide is what I believe I used um, the white polishing compound and that worked out really well for me. Um, the author of this article is Russ Canthium and um, wrote wrote this article and there's more information there if you want to check that out. Go to www.rockandjim.com. The letter N. All right, so that's about it for today. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Come join us on our social media. Come check out our page, RadicalRocks.com. We will have a private rock sale. If you want to be a part of that, you're going to want to go to our website, sign up for our newsletter. We don't give out your email, and um, we don't email very often, so join up with that. Thank you. Remember, rock hounds don't die. They petrify. <laughs>